Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined today by Tommy, uh, just a two-man show today. Uh, and uh, Tommy, how are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I suppose I'm doing just fine. So uh, we're just going to head right into Marvin Bagley now. Uh, I know it was the big uh, hot-button topic for last night's game, acquired by the Pistons on the day of the trade deadline. In our last episode, we did some profiling of him. So we're just going to head right into it with what we liked, what we didn't like from the time we saw him in uh, the game against the Washington Wizards. I believe it was 10 pounds, excuse me, uh, 10 points, eight rebounds. And uh, yeah, Tommy, what did you see that you liked about Bagley? I liked the post play, uh, the athleticism really in general. I was excited for this one. I, I really wanted to see more in the way of Killian and Bagley pick and rolls. We didn't get to see a lot of that, but just the extra athleticism. You can already see that it's useful. Bagley was aggressive and he was really trying to score. And I, that alone, you know, it's it's a welcome sight compared to the current center rotation of Stewart and Olenek, who has really been struggling lately. So I thought it was a good showing for his first game. Uh, you know, you haven't really integrated into the team. You haven't really established a role yet. So just the fact that he was going in, getting his own shot and uh, putting in a few, that's encouraging to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely the athleticism is a much needed infusion. <laughs> Obviously, the Pistons, we've talked about this many times, went into the season with a front court, which was lacking in a particularly important category, uh, notably the ability to jump. The Pistons, I believe, aside from maybe the Thunder, who are starting Jeremiah Robinson Earl, although I believe even they have a backup. I could be wrong about this. I don't have the roster in front of me. They at least, I believe, have a backup who can jump. Uh, the Pistons... Uh, that would make the Pistons the only team in the league without a single big man uh, who is both tall and can jump. Unfortunately, Isaiah Stewart is not tall and can't jump. Kelly Olenek, a little bit taller, also can't jump. Luka Garza, I believe, is the tallest of them all and uh, also the least vertical. So it just takes away so many options, uh, especially in the role. Uh, I did like, obviously, most athletic member of the front court right now. Moves well. Uh, it's strong interior score. Everybody's is, is, is always known that he is he's a potent interior score. I mean, he's just got a very good touch around there. So that much was good to see. Also strong in the boards. He's always been strong in the boards. Now, as far as uh, what we didn't like so much, I mean, bear in mind, of course, this is only one game. The guy isn't fully integrated into the team, but there are some qualities that he, he's struggled with, I'll put it that way, in the NBA since the very beginning. And hopefully the Pistons can coach those out of him. Much has been made about the fact that he played for the Kings and, the Kings are the Kings. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Kings, it means that the Kings are the only organization that has been a bigger mess than the Pistons over the last, you know, <laughs> last one Chauncey Billups ago. So uh, what did you see that you weren't as big a fan of? Yeah, the defense immediately stood out to me. It's just a la- It's a combination of lack of awareness and I guess just low IQ. There were just so many points in that game where Bagley should have switched and he just didn't. Like he would stay on his man. It's, it's something that you kind of alluded to when we were profiling Bagley. You said that at Duke, uh, they would just run zone because Bagley just couldn't switch. He he just doesn't have it in him right now. He doesn't have the recognition to make more advanced defensive rotations. And it's it really hurt the team. It led to a lot of open threes on the perimeter where guys uh, were trying to communicate and he just wasn't making the switch. And then, you know, as the center, functionally, he's supposed to be calling out those defensive assignments and communicating. So that's it's a real problem. And it's going to it's gonna be a long road before he just becomes a a passable defender so even if he looks good offensively I think it's probably going to be more than negated by the fact that his defense is so bad but that's that's the big uh, negative that stood out yeah I agree with the defense there were also instances in which he just ended up in the wrong place when he was supposed to be defending the paint 
Uh, or he he ended up on, uh, it's like you said, he can't switch. He ended up on another guy, a teammate was already defending, uh, or whatever. Yeah, so much has been made rightly of his low defensive IQ. That's been an issue for him in the NBA. It also makes him kind of an awkward positional fit. It was an issue for him in the NCAA also. Uh, it was both he and, uh, dude, what's, man, what's the guy's Wendell name? Carter Wendell Jr. Carter Jr., yeah, who plays for the Magic now. Uh, amusingly, the Magic have ended up with both the seventh and the eighth picks. Uh, eighth pick was Bamba from the very strong 2018 draft. And uh, they are two of the four teams which really flunked in the lottery of an extremely strong draft. So, <laughs> uh, ball, you know, Chicago, of course, drafted WCJ uh, originally. But yeah, the defensive IQ has been an issue. And as far as positional fit, uh, you know, he can't obviously can't really play power forward unless he can shoot. Can't really play center unless you can defend the rim. And he's going to be, if he's playing power forward, and I think in general, he's going to be spending quite a bit of time out there with Kelly Olenek, who is also not at all a good interior defender. So not the greatest situation. But again, hopefully it's something you can coach out of him. Like, you know, who knows? Maybe you can get to that point. Uh, he's here as a reclamation project, and and I hope that he can. He's certainly athletic enough to switch uh, and, to, and to provide some weak side defense. No doubt about that. As much as we pilloried Dwayne Casey, uh, we all allow that he does have skill development and his players really like him. So there's that. As far as what I didn't like on offense, and again, could just be first game syndrome, a really kind of straight line thinker. Doesn't really, you know, he had this issue in Sacramento as well, not really thinking about making his offense flow within the scheme at large. They tried him on just some straight post-up offense. You know, who knows if that'll be a steady diet for him, but it's real hard to make post-offense worthwhile in the NBA. So, yeah, when I see the, yeah. the post offense stuff, I'm really more looking to see how that projects into some short roll stuff. Because if he is going to become a pick and roll center offensively, it would, well, obviously offensively, it would be really nice if he didn't have to go all the way to the rim to score because he's not the biggest guy. Maybe there are going to be centers that deny him position or deny him full run all the way to the rim. So if he has like a jump hook or like, you know, a, a running hook, anything like that would be very, very helpful. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. It's not something that you, I, I'm not clamoring for more Marvin Bagley post play. Uh, it's just no, something that yeah. I wanted to see. And, you know, I, again, first game, it's a way too small of a sample size. We're really just saying these things because he has the reputation for being a poor defender uh, and for, you know, having trouble with uh, defensive IQ. And uh, it, this just kind of confirms that it, 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 this was a perpetuation of those problems. So it, it's the, uh, the prophecy is true, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, basically when it comes to post up, uh, again, I think this should be reiterated. I mean, the, the number of players who actually post up on a regular basis in the NBA uh, is more or less Embiid, Jokic, Valanciunas, Sabanis, and you know that's and, and then it just declines pretty steeply from there. But mostly, it's just Embiid and, <laughs> and Jokic who spend a ton of time in the post. So, yeah. So I, I don't really expect that to become a staple of his offense. What I really wish they had done just to ease his passage onto the team and. Again, who knows? Maybe there is just some sort of, you know, game one position, you know, plan for Bagley that it's like, okay, we're just going to do certain things and not other things. They didn't ever just put him in a position at the top of the three-point line, like with Killian Hayes or with Cade Cunningham, but certainly not with Killian, to just set a hard pick and roll to the basket. I mean, it's like, this is exactly what you want to be doing with Bagley. It's something that Sacramento did not do very much of. You also just really want to be doing this for Killian too, and for the offense as a whole, but certainly for Killian instead. I'm like the first... The three possessions in which they were on the floor together. Uh, Killian twice ended up just ISOing, which was really strange to me. And I'd like to think that there was a reason for it, but there very well couldn't, you know, could just not be one. Again, just take him. And if we want to, if we want to talk about these not so too 
two not so titans of the past um, under a really <laughs> shitty coach. But uh, you know, you can talk pardon the language. You can talk about like think about what Jackson and Drummond did, for example. Uh, again, not because they were good at it. Uh, the Jackson was good in his first season, but it's like just give him to Killian. Just run a zillion pick and rolls. You know, could be good for Bagley. Definitely be good for Killian. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, you bring up two things I wanted to mention. One, um, they did not run a lot of pick and rolls. And I, I I really only remember, I think, two instances where they tried it. And the one where Bagley actually came up and tried to set a screen and roll, uh, Killian didn't recognize it. Like, he just didn't attack. He kept the ball on the perimeter. Bagley went inside, and he was you could tell he was, like, looking for the ball to do something with it. But nothing happened because Killian didn't attack. So they just need to develop their chemistry there. I'm not... Uh, indicting them yet again just one game they'll have one more before the all-star break they need time for sure Uh, but that dynamic is something that I definitely want to keep an eye on but going back to Sacramento apparently this is an issue uh, with Bagley on uh, screens he sets very light screens and then he rolls very quickly and this is a criticism that I had for Drummond and uh, as I kind of learned more about it it's not necessarily a problem but you're kind of choosing um, so if you're setting hard screens, yeah, you're going to you're gonna free up the, uh, the, the ball handler a bit more, but the person setting the screen is going to be behind the ball handler on the pick and roll. Uh, if you set a lighter screen, you're, on, you're in that moment for less time, and then you're side-by-side side with the roller on the way to the basket. And apparently it's much more effective or it's easier to actually score on a lob when you set really quick screens. But Bagley, I guess it's more of a problem because he doesn't actually generate a lot in the way of advantages uh, when he does this. So that'll be another thing to watch for. Absolutely. I mean, the idea and the hope with Bagley, <laughs> we should remember, uh, you know, poor Kings fans, that they chose not to, they chose Dred Bagley over Luca because Vlade Dibac, who was the general manager at the time, wanted somebody to run pick and rolls with De'Aaron Fox. And now, of course, that was one of the worst, gener- excuse me, one of the worst decisions in the draft of like the past decade without a doubt and well you know it is what it is but the idea with Bagley is that he can set a screen and he's he's highly athletic he's he should be one of the guys who is athletic enough to set a hard screen and then gets the basket anyway uh disagree and I, I about you know and I can't believe I find myself actually defending the guy with Drummond actually at the beginning back when he was still really athletic and uh, strangely enough, he went into athletic decline at like the age of 26. But back in that first Jackson season, he was still capable of setting excellent screens and rolling hard at the basket. Uh, but Jackson would generally just shoot the ball on his own, so it didn't really matter that much. Whatever the case, I mean, what what would you see say are the developmental goals you would like to see him make progress on before season's end? Really just being more of half of a good pick-and-roll duo with ideally Killian Hayes. I think those two... Uh, have a future on the bench uh, going into next year. I really don't think that either of them are going to break back into the starting lineup. So I just want to see chemistry developed with those two. And then if Bagley could just you know, learn to switch, because this is a switch-heavy team, and it's one of the, the strengths of our defense, because you know, they, they genuinely do switch everything, and it's actually quite effective most of the time. But with Bagley on the floor, again, just the first game, they haven't established chemistry, they haven't established, you know, they haven't really had the chance to get the reps in for our defensive uh, program, but it was just, he, he stuck out like a sore thumb. Like he was so bad. So if he just learns to switch uh, again, Sacramento couldn't get him to do it. He wasn't never very good at it. So it's a big ask, but if he makes progress there, he can be a mainstay. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's again, reclamation project means what it sounds. This was Josh Jackson about a season and a half ago. 
Josh Jackson was a good swing also. We'd have done it 10 times out of 10. That's absolutely the move you make as a rebuilding team. And so is this. Now, what I'd like to see out of Bagley, as you said, just the ability to make proper decisions on offense that, of course, on defense, excuse me, that, of course, is just a necessity. I mean, he was so bad on defense in Sacramento that, you know, he wouldn't probably wouldn't have seen minutes for a good team or definitely wouldn't have seen minutes for a good team. So just somehow training that awareness into him. Some players are just still young and haven't gotten the instincts for it, haven't been coached properly. Some players just have terrible defensive IQ. You know, we'll see which is which with Bagley. But again, we're talking a guy like if you look at the current roster, who knows how many of these guys will still be there in three years when the Pistons hopefully will be actually trying to compete. Yeah, for Bagley to be one of those. I mean, by the end of the season, we want to see, of course, improvement on defense. He'll have to improve as a shooter, really, uh, because, you know, you want him to play center. And I think center is where you want Bagley. Uh, He's not not going to be the kind of guy who's, who's going to make himself a positive on defense in the long term. I think that's fine to say. Uh, and if you want to be a non-shooting center, you just kind of have to, uh, you have to be good on defense. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, the shooting improvement would just open up a lot more in terms of versatility, attack and closeout, and, and so on and so forth. So those are the two areas I'd really like to see progress on. Um, and of course, we'll see how well he fits into the full of, full of the offense looking for going forward. Okay, so moving on to a guy who's played very, very well lately, that is Sadiq Bey. Now, those of you who have been listening all season will know that I was pretty harshly critical of Bey. That was really more half him, half the coaching staff. I I maintain that the developmental quote-unquote plan they put together for him early in the season of just isoing from the perimeter was horribly stupid. It seemed to just completely discombobulate him. Now, whatever the case, I've been happy whether it's he or the coaching staff, though obviously that plan was abandoned about a month and a half ago whether it's here or the coaching staff, I've just been very impressed with how he's been for the most part, just finding good shots and um, coming up with, or just finding a good balance. Basically here's how I see Bay. He is a shooter who can create uh, basically the bread and butter of his game is going to be perimeter shooting. And he's been very good as the season has gone on at doing something he wasn't doing last season, which is just shooting right in people's faces. That's a great skill to have. I mean, for obvious reasons, you know, he's, he's gotten much better at really disdaining coverage and still just uh, still making his threes fairly well with a defender like one foot away from him. So that's been great. He's been doing some motion shooting. That's huge. I think that's his next frontier. As far as how he creates, he just finds good shots. Uh, he exploits matchups. He's a smart player. Uh, like last night, he was switched on to uh, Gill, who I don't know. I know that I'm pretty sure that he's Washington's backup center. He's not a good NBA player. And Bay just took him off the dribble straight away and scored on him. Uh, there are players Bay is not going to be able to take off the dribble. And he seems inclined to not even try, which is great. Just uh, because of who he is, if he finds himself in a bad position, it's probably going to be a bad shot. So he's uh, really finding and making good shots on the perimeter, shots that he wasn't able to in the past. And he's finding high percentage looks on the interior. So, and he's also getting the free free throw line more. And not above all, but also important, he's passing the ball. He's making the right reads and he's passing the ball off the drive. So I think just altogether, of course, at, ever since like the start of the new year, he's been the steadiest player on the roster. And uh, and I've been I've been very happy with that. Yeah, I actually, I'm just going to throw it straight back to you. I have a question for you. Uh, from the start of this, the year, I've been trying to figure out what Bay is positionally. And I guess I've really wanted him to be a two because... I think we're a little more deep in our front court and on the wing uh, from our bigs than we are uh, in the guard. So if Sadiq Bey could be like a big shooting guard, that would be really great. And like you have Cade as your point guard and you have that supersized lineup. But the more I, I watch the season, I feel like he's just he's just not a two guard. 
even though he is functionally a wing, he's just playing with strength. And I think he's better against bigs. So where, where would you classify him as like positionally? Like, would you call him a two or three or a four? I'd say he's just a forward, uh, Forwards in today's NBA are typically just forwards. You have occasionally a forward who will flex up the center like Giannis, uh, but typically just a forward is a forward these days. I mean, you have you have wings as well, so I guess what I said isn't isn't entirely correct. His wing is a shooting guard and a small forward, but uh, big kind of uh, stronger guys like Bay. I mean, I, I saw him play from up close in person. I, mean, I talked a couple episodes ago about getting to sit on the floor uh, when the Pistons were playing against the Nuggets in Denver. He is big. I mean, not as big as Stewart. to be amazed to see how just absolutely built Stewart is in person. He's like muscles on top of muscles, but Bay is, yeah, is definitely big, definitely strong. And I feel like you're more likely to find the really quick guys uh, at, at shooting guard. Sometimes it's small forward, but your really quick guys are often going to be your guards. I'd really, you're less likely to find those at, you know, a position, you know, it's small forward is certainly a power forward though. Again, most guys are flexed these days. So I think you really want a shooting guard next to Cade who's going to be able to just really move explosively off the ball, uh, preferably one who can shoot motion threes. I mean, you look at what Duncan Robinson, for example, does in Miami, not only in being a great three-point shooter, but in that's just the lengths that teams have to go to to cover him with how he moves off the ball and how he can shoot off the motion, which is so good to have. Uh, or a guy like Hamadou, who if he can learn to shoot, I think should be the undisputed starting shooting guard of the future because he offers so much. And also because he'd be virtually, he'd be extraordinarily difficult to guard if he's a good three-point shooter. So no, I would say I'd like Bay more at forward. And though you can really initiate from the interior as a shooting guard too, like DeMar DeRozan when he was playing shooting guard, used to post up on a regular basis over guys who were considerably smaller than he was. Uh, I just like the positional fit better there. I also think that under a more creative coach, there's some small ball center in his future too. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, I wouldn't he's have smart... called that. I, think, I just feel like he's a bit too short for that. I know he's beefy and he's strong, but yeah, guys do it. it's still surprising. He's he's an inch shorter than Stewart. I mean, obviously, he's not going to be running in and catching lobs, but he's a smart defender. He's beefy. Yes. You're not going to be able to back him down very easily. Yep. And if you're just looking for a lineup that has shooting, and I mean, we've seen teams do it particularly in the postseason, just go really small, and it can work. I mean, I think it was, it was Nicholas Batum who was playing center for the Clippers. It was either he or Marcus Morris when they beat the Jazz, when they just went super small against the Jazz. So, PJ Tucker for the Rockets. Oh, right. Uh, well, yeah, definitely. Uh, but Robert Covington, <laughs> the ultimate small ball, I don't think that was a very good idea. But <laughs> but Bay, yeah, he's solid enough to do that. So under a better coach in niche situations, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's his future. But yeah, I really like him playing a strength game from the interior, which you can do as a shooting guard, but then you better have a forward who's really going to be jetting around the perimeter and finding the proper looks there uh, in, in place of where you would be otherwise. So yeah, I, I like him at forward more. Yeah, I definitely see him as like a core piece moving forward. I wouldn't call him untouchable just because, if anything, he feels like one of the more movable pieces. Oh, I probably shouldn't drop such a hot take. Uh, I think I don't know if I don't know if we're ready for that. But uh, like when you really consider like the kind of return that he could get you, that's that's really not super relevant right now. The trade deadline's over, and I don't think they're looking to move him by any means. But I just think Sadiq Bay is such a valuable player uh, moving forward. And I just think he's phenomenal. And yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, over the course of the season, I, I think he's just gotten a lot better uh, when he's been a three or a four, uh, a four especially. So, you know, that kind of leads to some interesting questions. If uh, if you do get really lucky in the draft and you end up with a guy like Jabari Smith, who he is firmly a, a big forward. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, no, but I, I think you got to keep Bay unless you get like, 
a really good offer because he's just so useful and he's a, he's a great fit with Cade. And I think he could slot in naturally on any team. He's not high usage. He's not going to take the ball out of anybody's hands and dominate it and uh, take away from other guys' games. He's just a good role player who makes everybody around him better. So I'm very yeah. happy with his progress this, this season. Absolutely. Also a workhorse. I mean, the guy plays, uh, he leads yes. the team in minutes per game. Uh, though, I mean, he's only playing, he's, he's averaging about uh, 34 uh, in 2022 so far. But you see, he's always the guy who stays in the floor longest in the first quarter. Rarely gets into foul trouble. Uh, doesn't really seem to flag at all. Doesn't really seem to get tired. Always thinking, always playing for the team, making the right decision. Now he's making the right decision anyway. He really wasn't earlier in the season. Uh, again, whose fault was that? Uh, you know, was it his? Was it uh, the coaching staff forcing him into a position which really maximized all of his weaknesses? Who knows? But it's over now. By all means, good for him. As far as him being movable, yeah. I mean, if if you find a situation in the future in which you can toss some draft picks, of course, the pick to Oklahoma City, which originally belonged to Houston, will have to convey first. But yeah, he's he's definitely, unless he continues to improve, in which case you just don't want to move him at all. But he's otherwise, he's definitely the kind of player who you just you toss him and like a first round pick or two out there for a real difference maker. But right. that's long. Tyrese Halliburton is movable. Bay is movable. <laughs> oh, I will poor, never get over that. Poor Tyrese. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I, what I love about that is that, you know, according to Woj, who's typically a very reliable source, other teams did not even know Halliburton was available. You know, it's, 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 it's certainly conceivable that they could have gotten a better job or a better offer rather. And I kind of feel like this was just another Vivek Ranavdive deal. He's the, he's the owner of the Kings, the perpetually meddlesome owner of the Kings, who chose the one time he wasn't going to meddle was the 2018 draft where they chose uh, Bagley instead of Luka, and he wanted Luka. In any case, <laughs> this just stinks to me of a trade from him where it's like, I want Sabanis. Um, yeah, and, no, and did you uh, I, I, just, just to give myself some perspective, I go to the Kings subreddit sometimes, and I was reading uh, around there. They're still heartbroken, by the way. Tyrese Halliburton on Valentine's Day, he dropped a Players Tribune article where he found out that he was getting traded. He thought it was a joke at first. Like he got a call from his agent, and within half an hour he was gone. Like yeah. it was that quick. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> even, it's just it's it's just crazy to me. Yeah, nobody even knew that. I mean, there were no even whispers of him being available. Nobody thought the guy was going to get traded. I mean, that's no. and he's he's been you know he's only played a couple games for the Pacers so far, but he's been very good to say the least. And they've got. I mean, this was such a boon for Atlanta, for, for Indiana's rebuild. I mean, you, you break up that pairing of Sabanis, and Sabanis is a good player, don't get me wrong. Uh, Sabanis is a very good player. He's also kind of like an artificial ceiling sort of player because he has to handle the ball so much, and that just takes away certain options, and you don't really want that to happen uh, with uh, with the player at, at forward or center, and he's, he's legitimately playing center now, unless it's like a Jokic character. Uh, yeah, a guy who's going gonna to have that much usage, but yeah, I mean, now, so they broke up that pairing. If he and Turner, they'll see what they have in Turner, who's, who's very bullish on his ability to actually play center rather than spotting out from the perimeter. And you have Halliburton. Like, that's a really good start. Yeah, so, yeah. and Duarte, I, you can't forget him. Yeah, he's pretty good. Brogdon is, is good, though he's not been so good since his injury. So, yeah, they've got that uh, sort of three-headed monster at, at, um, in the backcourt now. So we'll see. I feel happy for Pacers fans because Indiana's just been kind of like a They've been such a mediocre team for such a long time, but who yeah, knows? They've if been they'll... frustrated. Yeah, who knows if they'll actually do anything? But the Central is looking strong. I mean, the Bulls, of course, are where they are. The Cavs have been the season's biggest surprise. The the Bucks, of course, you have the Bucks, and then you have the Pistons and the Pacers, who are on the up and up as well. So the Central, like the Central in hockey back in two thousand and nine, almost had five playoff teams. I figured that this could be that kind of situation in the Central a few years from now, hopefully with the Pistons. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it's it's going to come down to us. I was just thinking about this because there there's been a little bit of discussion around uh, the Pistons community about you know who's untouchable on your team or like who do you build around. And I think the two biggest names have been Cade and Bay. And for Cade, I completely understand. I, I wouldn't even trade him for like some of these older superstars. But Bay, I just think he's he's a very movable piece and a piece that like you t- I could totally see you you package him for a bigger star uh, down the line when you're like when you're trading your depth for uh, bigger name talent. And it's not a criticism of Bay. He's just a good player that a lot of teams are going to want. So. I'm not predicting that the Pistons trade bad. I just think it's an interesting discussion. You know, there are tough yeah. choices that you have to make with the front office. I Absolutely. think that could be one of them down the line. Yeah, it depends on on how far he develops further. Who knows? But yeah, it's, I mean, it's the kind of player you'd be heartbroken to have to trade just because he's such a good dude. Oh, 100%. I don't want to see Bay gone. I want to see a lot of these guys gone. But, uh, you know, I think just the business of basketball, when it is oh, time to compete, some tough trades yeah. happen. Hundred percent. They, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's. No, I was like, just gonna say. Yeah. Remember when uh, Tobias got traded? Oh, that's that was so bad. I mean, that was one of the yeah. few times I felt like crying over basketball. I really like Tobias. Sure, he's overpaid now, like without a doubt. Though I'm happy to see him become option number three in Philly because I think he'll do really well at that. Uh, but he's such a good dude. He's such a yeah. good dude. Yeah, like, I was. I, I don't like NBA jerseys. Like they're like a whole investment. The way that they price these things. Oh yeah, uh, the markup must be anyway. I wanted to buy a Tobias Harris jersey, and I I told myself if he's if he makes it past that deadline, I will get his jersey. And the next day, he got <laughs> traded. I was like, well, yep, that's yeah. why. Yeah. So the the only the only player I would feel comfortable getting their jersey right now is Cade. I don't think he's going anywhere. No, I'm I'm hoping he's a Pistons lifer for sure. Yeah. I mean, I I grew up with. Uh, I, I basically watched the Red Wings for a long time, and that's a team which, to a fault near the end, really kept guys there long term, which isn't easy to do in hockey because you have a set salary cap. Though, of course, prior to two thousand and five, the Pistons or the Red Wings didn't need to worry about that. There was no salary cap, and they could just outspend virtually everybody. But I'd love this to be the kind of team which just has like the same core going forward for a long time. I just uh, is really a soft spot in my heart for for teams like that, and who knows, maybe that'll be Bay. Uh, all right, moving on. But uh, first, uh, a brief message from DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Bear with me. This is the first time I've done an ad. Uh, new customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. Everybody can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus only, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void were prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gaming problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. Okay, so moving on. Uh, This is something that I've noticed and I really just want to raise. So Tommy, I know earlier in the season, uh, and this isn't an I told you, so I just know earlier in the season, you said that you really wanted Cade to play alongside another handler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a start. I, I feel like, okay, well, I'll let you go, but... 
I will rehash what I said. Yeah, early in the season. You wanted him to play originally alongside another point guard. Yes. Yep. Like it, my idea was for the first 20 games to get him going and get him acclimated because I wanted him in the starting lineup. Um, I, I just didn't want him to get overwhelmed because I guess I was just afraid that he would go the way of Killian, which now obviously like they're just such different players mentally. Like Cade, he just he is rock solid in terms of confidence. But what I wanted was for Cade to play alongside Corey Joseph for the first 20 games. And then after that, hopefully he's acclimated. He's comfortable with NBA ball handling. And you put Frank Jackson next to him for maximum spacing and you give him a good off-ball threat. Yeah, um, I know exactly where you're going with this. I, I've been frustrated by it too. But yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's more or less that Dwayne Casey, maybe in his just very straight line method of thinking, has turned wanting to have Cade. You know, clearly he wants to have Cade on the floor with another handler, and has turned it into Cade has to be at all times on the floor with another handler. Uh, Cade, uh, I went through the lineups, has played about ninety eight percent of his minutes with either Corey Joseph, Killian Hayes, or Saban Lee. These are not good fits for him. It's almost like Casey is unwilling to let him on the floor without a chaperone. Like Corey Joseph is having a good season. Like unambiguously, the guy, the guy is shooting well. He's, for the most part, good on offense. And by good season, I mean for a backup on a not-so-great team. But he's solid. The issue is that he is also highly ball-dominant. He's been hitting his threes at an excellent clip, but he is a naturally ball-dominant player. Also, this is a funny fact. So he is near the top in terms of point guards in the league in dribbles per possession and near the bottom. <laughs> at dribbles per touch, rather, and near the bottom in points per touch. <laughs> it's probably got the worst... Nice. Worst ratio of dribbles to touch to points to touch in the entire NBA, if I had to guess. Uh, you know, say all the good things about Corey as a teammate and as a hard worker or whatever, but this is going to be Cade's team. You want to put him on the floor with guys, uh, with like four guys who can work effectively off the ball. There's something to be said by sure, you know, learning, you know, teaching him how to play off the ball, but I just, I don't like the way that things are going. I believe the last time he actually got significant run on the floor as the only handler was the last game against Washington in which he scored like 12 straight points in overtime. And that was just because Casey stuck with a lineup that was working. Not coincidentally, uh, that was Frank Jackson playing alongside him in the backcourt at that time, uh, you know, for that stretch. And then we haven't seen it again. So <laughs> I strongly dislike the way that that is, you know, the way that that's happening. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it's good for Cade, but I don't think so. And I think this is just an example of Casey just not being flexible. Not really yeah, much to say be. beyond that. Yeah. No, I... I, I agree with you. I mean, again, I do want Cade to develop as a ball handler, and I do think he should be the lead ball handler of the future, uh, almost unequivocally. Like, he's he's unbelievably talented, and I was just thinking recently, like, his his biggest strength is his basketball IQ and his feel for the game. So as he gets older, he's only going to get better. Like, he, he has a long career ahead of him if he can just stay healthy. I, I think he can have that, like, Chris Paul-type career and impact where he's just incredibly smart, and he just picks apart the defenses mentally, you know, that sort of impact instead of just overt athleticism where it's going to fall off a cliff when you turn like 31. That's the sort of thing that you don't really have to fear with Cade because right now he's just beating guys with shiftiness, dribble moves, you know, lookaways, all manner of body control and just clever play. So yes, I do see why it is a problem uh, that Corey Joseph is getting as much run as he is. I remember looking a few weeks ago just at Cade's usage. And I think I want to say he was 55th in the league at like 26%. And, you know, at that level, you're pretty close to the guys around you. Uh, but for a rookie point guard who I guess I don't want to say he struggled early on, like that's not horrible. And it should, I should mention 
when I looked at this, it was his last 10 games. So this was during his good stretch in January. But uh, yes, there was a quote from Casey a month or two ago where he said, yeah, no, we do want to look to develop Cade off ball. And I think that did kind of irritate a lot of people. I try to consider why they would be trying to develop Cade off ball. And I think it's just kind of going back to when this team is good, you are going to have guys on this team who are capable of handling the ball uh, and being secondary ball handlers. And that's good because like we've seen when Cade is like heavily on ball, teams respect him like crazy. Like they are blitzing him with three guys and he has to get rid of it. So if you can give the ball to somebody else and you take advantage of Cade's excellent off ball uh, gravity, you're going to make things easier. He's always going to help. So yeah, I, I think there is a benefit to developing him off ball. Uh, maybe it's for the future and you don't see the benefit exactly right now. Uh, but I guess that's just worth considering. Yeah, it's worth considering, but I think there's also taking it a little bit too far. Like Killian, who has been terrible, is allowed to be on the court himself as the only ball handler. Corey Joseph, of course, is allowed to be by himself on the floor as the only ball handler. Saban Lee, when he gets to play, it, you know, down the stretch of games that are already lost, gets to be on the floor in his own as the lead handler. Cade, even in garbage time, doesn't get to do it. <laughs> so it's just, it's a little ridiculous to me, especially because you really want to get him playing in lineups with a functional offense. So. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I think it's just a, a product, product of the fact that Cade is actually a good shooter. Uh, he can play off ball, whereas guys like Saban Lee and Killian Hayes, they really are only effective with the yeah. ball in their hands. Like Killian, when he was drafted, we thought he was going to be this ball-dominant player uh, who's just going to run a million pick-and-rolls, and that's going to be his bread and butter, and that's how he's going to be effective in the league. And we've seen, if you take him off ball, he is completely invisible and useless. So even off the bench, uh, it's... I get what you're saying where it's like, why is Killian getting, you know, the lead role when Cade isn't, it, it might honestly just be that Cade can play off the ball. So they're using him that way. And Killian can't, which is, it's, it's, it's I know it feels that's, like backwards logic and it probably is. That's not a good but, reason. <laughs> that's, that's it, basically it, yeah. like almost borderline punishing him for the fact that he doesn't suck off the ball. I, I don't, I, I think it's exactly. more likely. <laughs> it, I think it's more likely that just that Casey had, again Casey has a good track record of developing players so who knows I mean who knows when I when I get frustrated with stuff like this I think back to okay you had Fred Van Fleet who was not so good in his first season and does that nothing and then in his second and it didn't get much usage in his second season was much much better and has had nothing but great things to say about Casey maybe there's just a method and a methodical uh, approach to this that is that that makes some sense that that's the only thing yeah. I can think of and when it, yeah, when it, it comes down back. to yeah no go ahead I'll, I'll just say when it comes down to when I get pissed about Casey doing these kinds of things, it's like, okay, well, there's one benefit, which is that the Pistons are losing games toward the end of getting another high draft pick. And as long as they pick in the top five, I'll go into the draft lottery feeling very relaxed. So that is the one saving grace, though I do get pissed off when I see Casey doing dumb things and he does dumb things a lot. Yeah, I um, well, I, I actually lost my train of thought, but you said we've been losing a lot of games. Jeremy Grant has not won a game like when he's been on the floor in like 19 <laughs> games. Did you see yeah, that stat? Right. Yeah, I think there's some circumstance to it, but Jeremy is, I, I really wish he could have been gone at the deadline. I don't think he's a good fit here anymore. I don't think he makes any sense for what the Pistons are trying to accomplish. And I also think that Dwayne Casey is an inherently bad person for Dwayne Casey to be given, uh, not to be given to, but to, they're just, they shouldn't be on a roster. He shouldn't be on a roster under Dwayne Casey. Cause we know that Dwayne Casey, if, when he has his veteran who can do some creation, that's going to happen. And, uh, and Grant with his mid range pull-ups, like, Okay, you might say, oh, well, we want to try to make him better at those because that's a very valuable shot if you can make it. The fact is the vast majority of players can't make it. 
Grant is shooting about 35% on his mid-range pull-ups. That is worse than a than an Andre Drummond post-up at Andre Drummond's worst from the post. So uh, it's just ugly. And again, the only saving grace is that it's helping the Pistons lose. And it's very important that the Pistons get a good draft pick. But in the moment, it just that does not feel worthwhile. I know, Tommy, you can watch games and say, okay, well, whatever, they're losing and, and they need draft position. This is just what I tell myself, which is true, is that, okay, well, at least it's helping them lose. In the moment, it's infuriating for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still catch my, for as much as I love uh, where we are as a franchise right now, which is crazy to say as we're in last place. Well, I guess, I mean, if you're if you consider it from where I stand, it's it's not that crazy. Like, yeah, uh, the losing basketball, it's horrible to watch. And like even in these like closer games like yesterday against the Wizards with like six minutes left, I found myself like hoping that we would make the shots and we'd win the game. But deep down, I know that it's like the bottom of the standings is just very, very close right now. And I think that as we kind of head down the stretch with 24 or 25 games left, uh, it is going to be a shift into, you know, well, we really need talent. And people are going to start looking at the draft and uh, paying more attention to that. And um, I was talking with one of the beat writers. I won't say who because they have an article dropping, but uh, they're getting more indication of who the Pistons are indicated are, are interested in. So, that that's that's the kind of stuff that excites me and i guess that's like the silver lining if you want to look for it to the loser yeah i mean we were both uh, you know all three of us were excited to go into this season and i think that it's been unpleasant by any stretch just the combination of the injuries and the underperformance and so on and so forth with some silver linings like k for example Um, absolutely but yeah it's it's not been nearly as enjoyable to watch as i was hoping Uh, another silver lining has been hamadou uh, those who have listened for a long time know me as kind of like the original Hamadou Stan. I don't really stand player, so to speak, but I've always been a big fan. And he still can't shoot. That's an issue. Casey hasn't allows him to take these dumb mid-range pull-ups he shouldn't be attempting because like almost everybody, he's bad at mid-range pull-ups. But not only is he like super exciting to watch. I mean, Kate is the other exciting player. He's technically excellent. Hamadou is just out of this world athletic. I think I just stole, I just uh, stole a term from Greg Kelser. He's just, he's just <laughs> incredibly athletic and in, in an NBA, which is incredibly athletic. That's saying something. So I've said it before. I'll say it again. If Hamadou, I've said it earlier in this episode. Yeah. If Hamadou can become like a 38% three point shooter or, you know, even better, if he can start shooting pull-up threes, I mean, there's your starting shooting guard in the future and you're one giant step closer to having a team that can contend because I mean, the guy is, uh, has an excellent motor. He's incredibly athletic. He it can stick to guys on defense. Like uh, he just still needs to work on his uh, on his switching, but he can stick to fast players on defense. Uh, right now, if he's on the floor with Killian, for example, who's not so fast footed, uh, he draws the quicker assignments, and he is excellent on the way to the basket. And he also makes the right pass. So yeah, that would just be huge for the Pistons. I mean, and and I'd love to see it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, I will give Hamadou his flowers. I totally, like, we talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it on the show. Uh, probably. I, I think I've ex- uh, expressed my uh, skepticism in the past for Hamadou and his potential impact, and I was just completely wrong. Once Casey gave him minutes, uh, he was good. Like, not just good. Like, he's actually an impact player. He's so much fun to watch, and that actually just kind of reminded me of what I, the, the train of thought that I had lost earlier uh, we were talking about Casey and like his impact. And I, I know this is like a very violent turn, but uh, just talking about like the way that uh, Casey manages minutes and roles. We were talking about, uh, I want to say Killian Hayes, was it? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I mean, we were, we, were talking, he... we were talking about the, the lineups. 
Yeah. yeah, no, the guys that that Casey brings along slowly, uh, when you look at the greater body of work, I know that like going back to the rookie seasons of like Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bey, when we really saw like these flashes and we wanted a lot more really quickly and they were just brought along slowly. I think there is some benefit to that. Maybe we were just talking about Cade. I think maybe uh, we don't, maybe Probably. there's some concern that they bring him along too quickly. I don't think that's as much of an issue with Cade just based on what we've seen from him, but uh, you know, even Hamadou, like he started off the season, he did start the season off really rough. Like yep. I know everybody wanted to see him. And uh, now that he's playing very well, uh, it's, that's great. But when he was like the first few games before he got benched, like he looked bad. Okay. So, I, 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 so here's the thing about Casey. We, we both know this is the case. <laughs> Two things. Number one, Casey can't call plays for an offense that use more than three people. And so he's basically that's after, true. after uh, the COVID absences and that time in which Diallo had played very well, Casey basically said he didn't call plays for Diallo anymore, <laughs> so which is kind of silly. Yeah, I think uh, he did the number, same thing with Christian Wood. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, but basically, but Christian Wood was going to have a much easier way in the play because the center, Casey gets the center involved, period. He is one of the three guys. Uh, so when, when, when Wood was playing center, he was going to get high wing involved no matter what. So the um, basically when it came, came to Diallo in the first few games, I mean, Casey, uh, unfortunately, still is not really using Diallo to his full potential. Because Diallo often just sits in the corner. And it's like this terrible place for Diallo. It's maximizing his weaknesses, which you can't shoot. That's a major weakness as a player. And that's a huge weakness he'll have to fix. Uh, while minimizing his excellence as a driver and a cutter. So we've been seeing more of Diallo being used as a cutter lately, which is great because he's excellent at it. But, you know, he can catch lobs. He doesn't get to do that, for example. But uh, what they could be using Diallo for is, or here's how I would use him. You run him in the pick and roll because so you can get to the basket real easily if you do that. And you use him, have him cut explosively on every possession he can and use him to attack, attack good matchups because you see this guy when he gets onto certain matchups, he's like a shark. He just, you get him onto like a slow player or onto a smaller point guard and he knows he's going to annihilate the guy in isolation. But Casey does none of those three things. Yeah. Maybe, so, yeah. maybe two to three years from now when we're looking to compete, they'll, uh, they'll flip that switch and uh, we'll go straight to the top. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I hope uh, he is a long-term yeah. piece. Like he's, oh, he's genuinely been a lot of fun. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, just a ton of fun to watch. Uh, the personal favorite was that game against the Raptors in which he had five dunks. I mean, he's just, he's, he's next level athletic. All right. So uh, let's move on to some user submitted questions. Uh, number one, and I don't know if either of us can really answer this right now is where would you rank sharp shade on sharp? I think I pronounced that right. And your standings yep. sharp. Yeah. Sharp as a guy who was originally deemed ineligible for the NBA draft and then midway through the NCAA season was deemed suddenly eligible. Uh, unclear if he'll declare for the draft or not, though the vast majority of players in his position, I would say, would declare for the draft if they were confident of being drafted in the top 10. I don't know too much about Sharp. I think that it's dicey to draft a player uh, on whom you have virtually no data at all at, uh, at a post-high school level. And that was the case with Wiseman, of course. Um, but it's, it's more of a sure thing if you're a big if you, you can be confident that you can do certain things well. So yeah. I, I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't like evaluating prospects off of high school tape. Like I've, i I'm not going to be a scout or anything like that. It's just like, I, I love watching, you know, film on prospects and trying to like learn their game and where they fit within an offense. I, I haven't looked at Shaden Sharp yet. I, maybe I will, if he like fully declares, because as of right now, they've indicated like um, Calipari and, uh, UK, they've kind of reiterated over the past like week or so. Like, yeah, we've talked to Shaden's parents and we've talked to Shaden and uh, 
they're gonna we're gonna bring them back another year. Uh, but I think there's just kind of maybe optimism or an expectation that you know NBA front offices are gonna be like, no, uh, the NBA is good for developing young players. What you don't want to do is go the way of like a BJ Boston, where you play uh, at a college and you do so poorly that you tank your draft position oh, by yeah. like 25 spots. Yeah. And then he was so high. Of, yeah, he was, he was so like high early in the season. At one point. Yeah, absolutely. And then they realized, and then he had a horribly disappointing season in Kentucky. Horribly exactly. disappointing. Yeah. Same school, if I remember correctly. I mean, I think Kentucky, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you don't want to call it, call it a cautionary tale, but it's just like, this could it happen. Is. You could, or you can just go to the NBA and you're guaranteed your 30 something million dollars and uh, you have all the, like resources and access of an NBA franchise, and they're very invested in your future because they've invested so much into you. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say that exactly. Like I mean, it, it can if, be it can be less than thirty million if they decline your options, but that's very rare. Yeah, I think uh, Shaden Sharp, even as he stands right now, like if he were to declare for the draft, I think he'd be top ten. Probably, yeah. So yeah, that that's the thing about college. Yeah, you can completely tank your draft stock, like BJ, like BJ Boston did. There are also very few players uh, who, when faced with that possibility of going straight to the NBA and being drafted in the top 10 and, and getting millions and millions and millions of dollars, are not going to do it. Like you had Miles Bridges, for example, who decided, and Miles Bridges, very thoughtful player, smart guy, very few players will do this. He decided that he wanted to stay in college for another year and so that he could just get more season. And clearly, he respects Tom Izzo a great deal. And he probably harmed his draft stock by doing that because if you're a player like him, who clearly had a high, very high upside, you and you stay in college teams really want to see more development so miles bridges i'm pretty sure if he'd gone in 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 2017 which i believe was his first year of eligibility for the draft that he would have been drafted higher in the event he got drafted 12th i believe in 2018 which is i couldn't tell you i don't remember yeah i believe so because i or it was 11th i think because the pistons had picked 13 which went to the clippers and they uh yeah, I don't remember. It's either 11th or 13th, but I'm pretty sure he would have gone higher as a freshman because then you're just drafting him pure upside instead of going back uh, in for a year and not really improving. So, yeah, I think he'll be in the draft. I don't know where I would where I would rank him. We'll know more at the combine, I would imagine, but that's a dicey pick right. for me. Right, you All could right. Con- yeah. uh, compare the situation a little bit to Anthony Simons. He's another guy who, instead of going to college or playing on a college team, uh, he opted to just train on his own for a year. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he he only get it, only end up getting drafted at like twenty fourth or twenty fifth. But I mean, clearly Portland invested in him, and now he's tearing up the league for that yeah, team. So twenty fifth, it's possible. You, yeah, you yeah. I mean, you hurt your 25th. money, but he's gonna he's gonna get that max. No, that's not what I meant. Year. I meant that you are you are as a team, you're more than have much much happier rolling the dice like that at pick twenty four than you are. Oh at, yeah, uh, yeah. At, that's at, a good point. It's it's really yeah. more from like Shaden's perspective. Yeah. Uh, all right, so who's your ideal free agent in 2023 if we wait until then? Uh, here's the problem with the NBA these days. You just never know what's going to happen. You really just absolutely do not know who's going to be available. Uh, there's going to be a a better class than 2022. 2022 is a garbage free agent class. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. Your only three good players are going to come on the market technically by declining options for James Harden. Obviously not. Uh, and not going to the Pistons. Bradley Beal not going to the Pistons. And then until he got injured, basically, your next best free agent was Joe Ingles. I mean, it is a horrible free agent quest for, for anything better than like mid-tier role players. I think we do kind of, we kind of need to acquire somebody by 2023 oh, yeah. because, you know, you're, you, the cap holds and the extensions are going to start kicking in. And at that point, you're kind of in like the Dallas situation where it's like, we don't have a lot of money to make significant improvements and we're yeah. too good of a team to, you know, pull off more high draft picks. I mean, we we might lose our pick to Portland or Houston or whoever owns our pick that year. 
Um, uh, okay, so, see. yeah, 2023, I haven't looked at the list, but I know that the Pistons are angling for, for that uh, to be you know, the season. If they haven't spent it all in 2022, that's when they need to spend a lot of money and uh, acquire some talent. Yeah. But I actually yeah, have a question for you. If you want, I mean, do you uh, have anything more to say about this one? Yeah, I will say that. Yeah, you've you've talked about this a lot in the past. Absolutely correct. You do have to plan around when extensions are coming up. Like Cade will be up for extension in twenty twenty six, I think. No, twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty five. And Bay will be up in twenty twenty four. Stewart probably not a consideration. Um, you have to worry about Grant. What are you going to do with him? And so you could technically wait until twenty twenty four. Bay doesn't have a huge cap hold. Uh, Killian Hayes, the team's not going to make its free agency plans around Killian Hayes. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to wait until 2024 if there's nobody you really want in 2023. All right. So what was your question? Just This is just really more of a thought experiment. I'm just curious. But I mean, the big names that people are kind of throwing around right now for the 2022 offseason are, are restricted free agents, DeAndre Ayton, Miles Bridges, and then me uh, and Fernie Simons. If yeah. you could, let's say you, that you, you know it's over. I know I know it's over, but just yeah. just for fun or just because, you know, I, I enjoy pain. Uh, if you could pick one of the three, let's say they're all in the same contract. It's like it's near a max or it's it's a max contract. Uh, but you're for sure you're prying one of them away. It's your pick. Who would you oh, take? Aiden, goodness. Bridges or Simons? That's such a tough one for me because my mind immediately gravitates toward the possible. Like the first thing that comes into my head was like, yeah, it's highly unlikely any of that. Anybody could do that. So it comes down to. <laughs> Not interested in Aiden. Uh, he okay. is in a very an excellent situation for him right now. Because when it comes down to Aiden, he can't stretch the floor, doesn't shoot threes. He is a good but not elite interior defender, and he's playing with Chris Paul, which is very helpful for any center, even if Chris Paul is for the NBA relatively old age. I think he's 38. I could be wrong. I think 36 or something close to that. 36, yeah. Uh, so Chris Paul at this point, like none of his athleticism is left. He's still a very good player, but it's very nice to play next to him. He's playing under an excellent coach, Monty Williams, who came out of nowhere to become a very good coach and just on a, on a good team. So there's certain things he doesn't need to do. And I wouldn't say him. Uh, Bridges, the only thing that concerns me about him is his three-point shooting. If you could guarantee me that it'll be a 38% three-point shooter, he'd be my choice because you know with that, he's, he's going to be a star player. If, if you can guarantee me that he can shoot threes, absolutely going to be a star player. So uh, Simons, um, we have to see what he'll look like when Willard is back and how much okay. of his utility goes. Yeah. And how much is how much of his utility goes away? I think he'll still be a very good three point shooter, but Bridges is just so much more versatile. He'd probably be my choice. And maybe there's some Michigan state bias there. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an MSU yeah, fan. Yeah. What about you? Oh, actually, no, I, I know the answer. Simons. Yeah, okay, yeah, there you go. Now, <laughs> yeah, do I, no, I would pick Simons for sure. Now, do we think any of it is possible? I mean, I'd say Aiton is the most attainable. Uh, he's also the one I want the least. And honestly, if the Suns like, make it to the finals again, there's no way they're winning Aiton go unless Sarver horribly cheaps out. And I think it was merited to not give him a max extension in the offseason. I don't think that's a sign that Sarver won't spend. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, I don't think Bridges is, I'd say Bridges is definitely not going anywhere. Uh and teams just have so much control over their free agents or their restricted free agents. Excuse me. It's virtually unheard of for a max level restricted free agent to change teams. Like I right. cannot remember the last time uh, because basically the team just has to be willing to say, well, this guy's not worth it. So hit the road. Enjoy your new yeah. team. Yeah. I am so upset about the Simons thing. Like <laughs> Lillard gets, like, I'm not happy that Lillard got, Lillard got hurt. You know, actually if, if anything, it's more for my argument because if Lillard stays healthy and they keep, 
themselves on the treadmill for another year and Simon just continues to rot behind McCollum. Like two seconds after we came on here and we talked about how Simons is just like, he's a really good player. He's just stuck behind McCollum. CJ or, or Dame gets hurt. He goes in for surgery and then Simons puts the league on notice. Just breaks my heart. You hate to see it. Yeah, you know, I would one hundred percent pick Simons. Like I think he'd be, he would have been a phenomenal fit with Cade. Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah, yeah, I think we we'll won't. We'll never we're, know. No, we're not going to know that until we see how it fits <laughs> with Lillard next season. Though I'll tell you, they're going to be a nightmare of a defensive backcourt. And I don't mean a nightmare for other yes. teams. <laughs> I mean a nightmare <laughs> for the Trailblazers. Yeah, uh, yeah, two, uh, two guards, six foot three guards who are not particularly good. Though CJ wasn't particularly good either. I think Simons is worse. All right. Uh, Moving on, uh, we had another one that was related to our last question. Uh, direction of the team after this year, is it worth it to... Actually, no, that's it's not the right one. All right, so uh, should we hold on to the cap space we have or spend it now when we're one of the few teams with cap space? The upcoming class is terrible. Like, unless by some incredible miracle you can get Bradley Beal on the team, and I think his next contract is not going to be a very good one because he's fairly injury-prone and uh, and uh, he's heading into his 30s at this point and very dependent upon his quickness. Even then, you take the risk. Probably for Beal, but Beal is not coming to the Pistons. I could say that with pretty high degree of certainty. Do not want Kyrie, and uh, if you're not getting into the RFAs, that's that's that. It's not worth spending money on bad role players. Yeah, I don't want Brunson. I feel like he's like oh, the right. most likely attainable uh, free agent. I just don't want him. I don't want to spend my yeah. I, I, like, like. What do you think the AAV is going to be there for Brunson? Like twenty, probably fairly high. Yeah, that, that's what he's looking for. And if I were Dallas, I would never let him go. Mark Cuban has made references to ending up in luxury tax hell next year. That was his words. Uh, those were his <laughs> words, rather. And so I think Brunson isn't going anywhere. It's like you said, Dallas didn't get to accumulate much talent, and they cannot let him go. I, I don't think he's a good fit with the Luka at all. Uh, Dallas has been winning games chiefly on defense, and their defense, uh, you know, if the on-off numbers are correct, I mean, Dallas's defense without Brunson is is very, very good, and not, it's not so great with him, or not yeah. nearly it's- so good. So yeah, they. If anything, I could no. totally see them. Oh, go ahead, my bad. No, I was just say I think they'll keep him, or and and if you keep him, you can always trade him. Yeah, yeah. As far as the Pistons and using their cap space, yeah, I think you throw big contracts at all these, you know, restricted free agents just because you know you're well, not you going to have that opportunity. You you can't you Pardon? can't because it ties up your cap space, so you can only only want to only put out one offer. Oh yeah, I mean like you, like not all three of them at once. Fine. Yeah. I would say this year that you can absorb some bad contracts, but you really don't want to absorb a bad contract that lasts two seasons. And teams are unlikely to really, unless they really feel like there aren't many teams with cap space, period. Unless you have a team that wants to do a sign and trade or something. Sorry, I can't even do those mechanics in my head right now. Yeah. I don't think. Right. That yeah. Be, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I, I think I it's don't think more that, likely we use it to facilitate other moves. Yeah. But the weakness of this free agent class means that salary, one year salary dumps are much less likely. Uh, you have to have a team that's close to the cap and you have to have a team that really wants that cap space for a free agent. So unless it's Brunson, for example, I don't think it's, uh, it's just the weaker the free agent class, the less incentive teams have to dump one-year contracts. And again, I don't think you want to take a bad two-year contract because that does handcuff you a bit in 2023. Uh, all right. Direction of the team after this year, worth it to try to compete in a stacked East or take it slow and give yourself a shot at players like Scoot, Wemby, or maybe even Sharp if he stays. I don't think, I think next season, the Pistons will be better armed. I think that they will just see where things go. And uh, so I don't think they'll be trying to compete, uh, but I think they'll try to field a reasonable roster around the young guys and just see where things go. So worth it to try to compete now? No, I don't think they can reasonably do that anyway uh, because I don't think they're going to be making big trades right now. I don't think they really have the necessarily have very good assets by which to do so, but I just don't think they're going to do it, period, because it doesn't make any sense. And they can't really sign big free agents. They're not going to 
we were just talking about the class. There's not really anybody who's both good and attainable. So I think it's just kind of uh, a foregone conclusion that they'll just see where things go. I don't think they're going to try to compete. I don't think they could compete. Yeah, I think if anything, it's going to be more dependent on the draft and how the lottery shakes out. If they feel like they've gotten a really, really good player and maybe they get, feel like they're going to get somebody that they actually like in free agency. Uh, maybe it's not like this one of these big name Max guys, but somebody that they think can develop. I, I don't know. I'm just, this is some imaginary player in my head. But really what I think it will come down to is uh, what kind of talent they get in the draft. And if they feel like they're ready to make this pivot into being competitive, I could see that happening. If they well, feel how? like they just... How, how, how do you, how do you I mean, you throw money at people. Yeah, yeah, but there's I mean, there's nobody, aside from the restricted free agents, I mean, there's really nobody you can realistically throw money at, and they have to sign the offer sheet. Sure, yeah. I yeah, mean, so. It's, it, it is still a bit of a question. I mean, I think there are a lot of teams that are maybe worried that they'll lose just quality pieces to the Pistons just because we can offer a little bit more than maybe they're willing to pay. Uh, because we are one of, what, three or four teams that have four, actual cap space? Four teams. I believe it's the Spurs, the Magic, the Pistons, and... Uh, and the Trailblazers, actually. But the thing is, I mean, who, aside from the RFAs, do you throw money at? Because there's nobody really worth throwing money at, in the, in, aside from that unrestricted free agency. You know, aside from right. people I'd have mentioned. to look at the list. I mean, I really, when I look at the, re, uh, the the free agent list and, you know, the potential players, I really was focusing on younger players. But if they feel oh. like they're ready to compete, maybe they're looking at some older guys. Yeah. I there's, Zach, there's, there's Zach Levine is another guy uh, who is yes, almost, yes. almost certain. We'll, we'll definitely prize Zach Levine from the Bulls. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's now on one of the best teams in the league. Uh, I find yep. it hard to believe. And they can pay him way more money because uh, they have his bird rights. They can offer him five years with 8% year over ra- year raises versus four years at 5%. Yeah, no, so, he wants to play with Cade. He'll be here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that would be a big get. I mean, I, I've, I've changed my tune. I mean, the guy can definitely play more up or roll and still be highly effective. So, But beyond that, I mean, it's just such a disappointing class. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that they could compete if they tried. And as far as just, just as, a, as a, a point of information on restricted free agents, you give them an offer sheet, they have to sign the offer sheet. You can't just make them a contract offer and say, okay, fine, you know, beat this or don't beat this. They have to sign the offer sheet. And that offer sheet will be for less than the max they can receive from their own team. And, and then if they, if their team declines, then that's the salary they get. So they're basically locking themselves into a lower salary by signing that offer sheet. So that, that makes it, yeah, that makes it less likely. Okay. Moving on opinions on Grant staying past the deadline. How will impact the team the rest of the year, future plans with grants, any concern about the team giving them an extension? Would you like him gone in the off season? If so, for what? Uh, so I'll start if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, so opinions on Grant staying past the deadline, not a fan. I think he's bad for the team. I, I don't think, I, I think that's, I've said what I've said about Casey and his propensity for giving basically carte blanche to veterans who can create. I don't like that. And I just don't see him having a future on the team. So if, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to impact the season much. I think Pistons might lose more games. We'll see an uglier offense, and I don't think he's good for the development of Cade Bay. I think can operate independently of Grant, and is given that opportunity. But yeah, so I don't like it, and but I don't think it'll have much of an impact. Maybe more losses unless he really goes nuclear. And I hope for the sake of the Pistons getting good draft position that that doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think under Casey, he plays a losing brand of basketball. I mean, I don't, I don't want to rehash everything. Very well we said. put. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want to rehash everything that we went over in the, in our previous episode uh, after the trade deadline, but that's, that's really like the main point. Like when he is a top option, 
he shoots inefficiently. He takes, he kills ball movement and it, he does it shamelessly uh, on a better team where he's lower on the totem pole. Like let's say we get Jabari Smith. Yeah, better and, coach. Yeah. Better, better coach. coach. Yeah. Uh, like let's say those two are like more uh, efficient and they're taking better shots and Grant falls just naturally into uh, a role where he's, he's playing more in like a three and a D and attack role. You know, I think at that point, his percentages would rise and he becomes like that piece that we all fell in love with where it's like, wow, this guy can actually be a dynamic scorer and he can be useful on a team where the Pistons are trying to compete. But right now, uh, yeah, no, he makes the he makes things look he uglier. Sucks. Yeah, he <laughs> sucks pretty much all around. And he's also this I year... I try to be diplomatic with it. Yeah, this year, <laughs> uh, last year, I mean, he he just would go to the basket. He was good at scoring there. He'd draw a lot of free throws. He'd also just get the crap beaten out of him. Uh, yeah. He would just end up on his back so often because he just get knocked straight out of the area. He's not a very heavy guy. And he, though his positioning is great for scoring around the basket, but it also makes him very easy to knock. To, I mean, he just if, if you touch him, he's going to fly on the ground. He's not really doing as much of that this year, which is probably why he's less effective. So that's part of the reason, just one facet of the reason why he's less effective. As far as future plans, team giving him an extension, highly unlikely, I would say. I just don't see Jeremy Grant as a future piece for this team. And at the very least, they would just wait until free agency, probably, if they were intent on... Well, I don't think... So here's the thing. It becomes... Uh, if they're keeping the same dates and not accounting for free agency being at a weird time when he signed his, then he'll become extension eligible uh, around Thanksgiving next year, in November, whenever it was, uh, that, that free agency was, two years to the day after that. I don't think they would give him an extension then. If they were going to give it to him, I think they would give it to him during the season. Uh, just for for any who might have said, who might have seen situations in which oh players don't such and such player didn't get an extension and now they can't offer it until the off season. Those are for rookie scale players. You have to extend them prior to the start of the season, uh, going into their fourth year, or you can't offer them an extension during the season. So, like you saw with Aaron Gordon, he was traded for by the Nuggets and they extended him very shortly afterward in the middle of the season, uh, right after the trade deadline last year. So. But I like him gone in the offseason. Yes, I would take probably a fairly modest return. Tommy, you brought up the good points, though, that teams might be in a better mood to deal uh, when they've seen how they fell short in the playoffs. Yeah, that's still just a big if. And uh, I, I think you made the point during that episode that even if he does play poorly, like you can trust that teams should be doing enough research to just say, okay, uh, this guy is not being used properly. But if we bring him onto our team and we do use him properly, uh, he's more useful, and hopefully that can help his trade value. That's the hope, anyway. I, I'm not. If, if I would have to see exactly what the offers were to say whether I'm like actually upset that he's still on the team. But if there was like a good return, a good return being like what they were asking for, like two good uh, first round picks or like a good young piece, like a core piece and a first round pick. Like if that was there and they just didn't take it because they didn't like the player or something, uh, yeah, maybe then you you're upset. But if it re- if the offers really were like as bad as as, as it seemed that they were, um, I'm I'm okay with the idea of keeping Grant because again, if you look to com- if you look to compete, and if Casey is not your coach anymore and he's playing a, a role, That's a, big if. <laughs> a, a role more suited to uh, oh, you mean another team playing? Gotcha. No, no, I'm still talking about the Pistons. Like, oh yeah, well, Casey is on for the next two years at this point. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, the Pistons are going to be looking to. I mean, uh, Grant will be what thirty-one at that point, or thirty. No, uh, so Grant will be twenty-nine, I believe, or maybe twenty-eight. Yeah, I mean, uh, at the that's end of even contract. better. Like he can still contribute. Like when the the Pistons have to look to pivot 
within two to three years and be like actual, actually competitive. I mean, they'll still be relying on internal development, but Rank can still contribute. He's not old by any means. You know, yeah. It's just about like his recent performance and the shots he's taking. I don't like it when he pulls up for uh, mid-range. Yeah, I think that the opportunity cost of having him will grow as the Pistons add more young talents and move toward trying to field an actually effective offense. And, and Dwayne Casey is still the coach. So who knows, maybe his role declines naturally if there are better players on the team. I would say if the Pistons end up with Jabari Smith, he's probably gone in the same offseason. But I'd be surprised if he were still, uh, if he were still around uh, when, you know, after the draft this season or when it going into next season. Uh, all right, final one, and we'll do this quickly because it's uh, Tommy needs to go. We've gone way over time here. So the last question is about Cade. And uh, honestly, I think we're going to defer this to a future episode because this is one we'd like to spend more time on. Uh, the question about Cade is, after his initial slow couple of games, how do you feel his development has been and areas he has or has not improved? So yeah, we'll push this forward in the next episode. Uh, all right, everyone. Uh, that'll be it. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.